Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. President Biden's first formal remarks on shooting down the Chinese spy balloon and unidentified objects and his warning to Beijing. Senator John Fetterman checked himself into the hospital yesterday, just over a week since his last visit. What he's being treated for now. Another train derailed this morning, this time near Detroit. One of the train cars reportedly carrying hazardous materials. JP Morgan Chase Bank under scrutiny for its management of Jeffrey Epstein's accounts. An AG alleges the bank knowingly helped with the trafficking and abuse. And non-stop worship at a Christian college. What started out as a regular chapel service is still going after more than a week. President Biden today addressed U.S.-China relations and the U.S.'s future approach to unidentified aerial objects. NTD's Iris Tao has more from the White House. Four days after the U.S. military shot down a third unidentified flying object and 14 days after it destroyed a Chinese spy balloon, President Biden formally addresses the nation. And because we knew its path, we were able to protect sensitive sites against collection. The violation of our sovereignty is unacceptable. We'll act to protect our country, and we did. Biden says he'll talk to China's Xi Jinping without apologies, but he didn't specify when. I expect to be speaking with President Xi, and I hope we have we are going to get to the bottom of this. But I make no apologies for taking down that balloon. Thank you very much. When are you speaking to President Xi, Mr. President? China has taken on the offense after its spy balloon got caught, accusing the U.S. of flying balloons to China and retaliating by sanctioning U.S. defense companies on Thursday. The White House calls China's accusations false and Beijing sanctions. Symbolic and unnecessary. Meanwhile, the Senate on Thursday unanimously passed a resolution condemning the Chinese Communist Party. The majority leader says it sends a clear message. That China's belligerence their near endless escalating tactics and their scornful disregard for American sovereignty is unacceptable. And as for the unidentified flying objects, Biden says they were most likely balloons tied to private companies or research institutions. Nothing right now suggests they were related to China's spy balloon program. But Biden does warn. But make no mistake, if any object presents a threat to the safety and security of the American people, I will take it down. Meanwhile, the future parameters for taking down unknown objects will be classified but shared with lawmakers. Biden also outlined steps to better monitor objects in U.S. airspace, including creating an inventory of unmanned objects flying around the skies and improving detection capabilities. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tao, NTD News. On another front, doctors declared President Biden healthy and fit for duty today after a physical examination. Biden has said he intends to run again in 2024. And Democratic Senator John Fetterman is in the hospital again. His office said today that he's being treated for clinical depression after he checked himself into a hospital last night. Fetterman's chief of staff said in a statement that the senator is staying at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center and that he has a history of depression on and off throughout his life. But in recent weeks, it became severe. A congressional physician recommended inpatient care, and Fetterman agreed. Just over a week ago, Fetterman was hospitalized after feeling lightheaded during the Senate Democratic retreat. A spokesman said at the time that test results showed no evidence that he suffered a seizure or a second stroke. 
House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is in Arizona today taking his first trip as Speaker to the southwest border. This after Republicans and a few Democrats just yesterday held their first field hearing in Texas. NTD's Melina Weiskopf reports. Arizona Congressman Juan Siscomani welcomed House Speaker Kevin McCarthy along with a handful of other Republican lawmakers to his home state so they can get an on-the-ground feeling of the border situation in southern Arizona. The lawmakers were briefed at the U.S. Customs and Border Protection's Tucson Sector headquarters, and the Tucson Sector is known for its high level of gotaways. That's a term that refers to illegal immigrants who are able to evade border patrol and enter the country undetected. Here's McCarthy today at the border. The challenges that they see coming across, the fear that you have in a county that a Mexican cartel is the biggest employer. You don't feel safe in your own nation. The saddest part about all of this, the Mexican government doesn't know which of their citizens are leaving their country. The American government does not know who's coming into our country, but there's one entity who knows both, the Sinaloa cartel. McCarthy and the other lawmakers took an aerial tour of the border, followed by a tour of a ranch along the border in Cochise County. Some Democrats decrying the trip as a photo op. I mean, the speaker can make as many trips to the southern border as he wants to make, but the question is, will he make one trip across the rotunda to put together a bipartisan, bicameral effort? This trip comes just a day after a separate group of lawmakers held a hearing in Texas, highlighting the opioid crisis. The border crisis, the fentanyl crisis, that's been driven by President Biden's open borders agenda. Three Democrats attended that hearing with 18 Republicans. Many Democrats and immigration advocates say it's improper to link the opioid crisis to immigration. Uh, we know that a majority of fentanyl related convictions do not involve undocumented immigrants. And just a week from today, the House Judiciary Committee, led by Chairman Jim Jordan, will hold an on-the-field hearing in the border city of Yuma, Arizona. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Yet another train carrying hazardous materials has derailed. This one was in a suburb of Detroit, and it happened just this morning. At least six train cars reportedly derailed near Detroit at around 9 a.m., one of the cars was carrying hazardous materials. Officials report that the car was righted and the substances haven't leaked. A congresswoman said her team is monitoring the situation and working together with first responders and that the EPA is testing for any risks to residents. The cause of the derailment is not yet clear. Senators are pressing the federal government for answers about the train derailment in Ohio. Now the Environmental Protection Agency is addressing the people's concerns. NTD's Jason Perry has the details. In a town hall meeting on Wednesday night, residents near East Palestine, Ohio, did not appear too satisfied with the answers they were given. I honestly feel that the Palestine, the, the police department, the fire department, all the first responders, they don't have the answers to give us because I don't think they know. They're not getting the straight answers either. Like, I feel like a lot of the questions that were asked were people's rantings and just speaking in circles, the answers that were given were things that we've already been told. The administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, went to East Palestine to address the people's concerns on Thursday. He was asked if he lived in East Palestine, would he let his own children return home? You know, what I would say is if those homes have been tested, um, and if those homes have been tested by the state, 
and given a clean bill of health. Yes, as a father, I trust the science. I trust the methodology that this state is using. And as a parent, I would. Uh, but if those homes haven't tested or if they're on private well water, I would advise that they get those homes tested and continue as Governor DeWine and the State Health Department has recommended, continue to use bottled water until those homes get tested. I would encourage every family in this community to reach out to the state or EPA to get their home air quality tested and their water tested. We have the resources to do it. We want to do it and we want people to feel secure and safe in their own homes. Meanwhile, lawmakers are also asking for answers from the federal government. The senators from Ohio and Pennsylvania, that is Sherrod Brown, J.D. Vance, Bob Casey, and John Fetterman, sent a letter to the EPA and the National Transportation Safety Board. One of the questions they asked was, do railroad personnel have sufficient time to conduct inspections of rail cars? The letter cited reports that railroad workers get about 30 to 45 seconds to inspect each car. And Senator Brown's office was informed they used to have about three minutes prior to the adoption of Precision Scheduled Railroading, or PSR. PSR is said to have increased the efficiency of train routes with less personnel. But critics say that's increased the chances of derailment as well. Jason Perry, NTD News. Meanwhile, in Florida, a fire broke out at a plant nursery this morning. It burned thousands of plastic pots, sending flames and smoke into the air. This video of the fire is circulating online. It shows the burning nursery and the smoke that was released. Hazmat teams were monitoring the air quality in the area after the fire broke out. No evacuations of nearby homes or businesses have been ordered. Nearly two acres of pallets holding plastic pots for plants caught fire. Some were stacked as high as 10 feet. Fire officials didn't immediately know the cause of the blaze. An investigation is scheduled to start once the fire is under control. And an attorney general is investigating the Jeffrey Epstein trafficking enterprise. And he said yesterday that J.P. Morgan Chase Bank knowingly helped. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. In a new court filing on Wednesday, the Attorney General of the U.S. Virgin Islands alleged that 20 women who were victims of sex trafficking and sexual abuse at Jeffrey Epstein Properties were paid through J.P. Morgan Chase accounts and that the bank pulled the levers through which recruiters and victims were paid. The AG accuses the bank of being indispensable in the operation and concealment of the Epstein trafficking enterprise. They state there's evidence that shows the bank knew Epstein was an extremely high-risk client but decided to keep servicing his accounts because of his vast wealth and connections with other high-net-worth individuals. For example, the bank knew about media articles detailing the charges against Epstein in Florida but decided to keep doing business with him. The AG argued that the frequency of Epstein's payments and how many of them were to women should have triggered action. Epstein allegedly withdrew more than $775,000 from J.P. Morgan accounts to pay for sexual encounters. Arlene Richards, NTD News. The Project Veritas director responded yesterday to a report that founder James O'Keefe was placed on paid leave. The report sparked some donors to issue a cease and desist letter. Director Daniel Strack says O'Keefe has not been re removed from his position. A Twitter post from the company says he's on, quote, a well-deserved vacation. Strack said leadership got some verbal feedback a few weeks ago regarding the treatment of people. It appears that they are gathering more feedback and adjusting internal processes while O'Keefe takes a break. 
Strack said O'Keefe is hardworking and that the Project Veritas board, quote, all love James. The director indicates that the situation has nothing to do with the recent Veritas expose involving a Pfizer executive and says Project Veritas will never be, quote, brought to you by Pfizer. And nonstop worship at a Christian school is reportedly still going after starting over a week ago. People from various states are now joining in. Asbury University in Kentucky held one of its regular chapel services on Wednesday of last week. However, the service didn't stop, and reports show it's still going on eight days later. This video circulating on social media shows the scenes at the school on Thursday morning. The description reads, Day 8 of the Great Asbury Revival. People are flocking and waiting in line by the thousands to get inside and worship our Lord. The same person also posted this video of people singing, taken on the seventh day of worship. Asbury theology professor Thomas H. McCall says he attended the service as soon as he heard about it. He wrote this article about the event, which was published earlier this week. He described the scenes, saying, Many people say that in the chapel they hardly even realize how much time has elapsed. It is almost as though time and eternity blur together as heaven and earth meet. Anyone who has witnessed it can agree that something unusual and unscripted is happening. This video is from last week when there were fewer attendees than now. As you can see here, the number of attendees seems to keep rising. This video was posted this week. According to NBC, the school's president, Dr. Kevin Brown, said that on Tuesday, at least two-thirds of the attendees were from other states. Reporting by Arian Pazdar, NTD News. And the world's oldest nearly complete Hebrew Bible is heading to London next week. The manuscript, known as the Codex Sassoon, could become the most valuable historical document to go up for auction. The Codex, or manuscript in book form, is set to go up for sale in May. Sotheby's says this thousand-year-old holy book might fetch up to $50 million. That means it would break the all-time auction record for historical documents. The last record was set in 2021 when a billionaire paid about $43 million for a copy of the U.S. Constitution. The Codex Sassoon is named after its former owner, who acquired the Bible in 1929. The document is valuable because it provides a critical link between the Jewish oral tradition and the modern Hebrew Bible. This Bible is incredibly important because it contains the notes created by the Masoretes between the 7th and the 9th century. And these notes, uh, which sort of standardize the text of the Bible, appear above and below the text and also between the columns. And these notes actually, they also included besides the notes known as Masora, which means tradition, they included the vowel points underneath the letters, which allow us to know how exactly the words of the Bible are be to be pronounced. The upcoming display will be the first public showing of the Codex in 40 years. The public will also be able to see it in Dallas, Los Angeles, and finally New York before the auction. Sotheby's says the Sassoon Codex dates from the late 9th or early 10th century and contains almost the entire Hebrew Bible. And if you have any news tips or feedback for our show, remember you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And coming up, Washington strengthening its relationship with the Philippines. A joint military drill announced, the biggest in years. And sad news in baseball as one of the all-time greats in broadcasting passed away. 
NTD's Dave Martin remembers the career of Tim McCarver. That and more coming up. Washington is boosting defense ties with the Philippines. That's amid tensions with an ever more aggressive Chinese regime. NTD's Tiffany Meyer has more on that. In the South China Sea, Washington's relations with the Philippines are warming. The two countries are planning a joint drill, their biggest since 2015. All of these exercises that we are doing are uh, in response to all types of threats that we may be facing in the future, both man-made and natural. This comes as the Philippines condemns Beijing for its aggressive action. China's Coast Guard troops reportedly flashed a military-grade laser at their Filipino counterparts this week, temporarily blinding the crew. Washington later reaffirmed that it would defend the Philippines if necessary. The Southeast Asian country has also granted the U.S. greater access to its military bases. The joint drill is scheduled for the second quarter of the year. The Beijing-appointed governor of the Xinjiang region canceling plans to visit the U.K. Xinjiang is also called East Turkestan by the native Uyghur population. The move comes after Uyghur campaigners protested the governor's visit on Monday outside the U.K.'s foreign office. The United States sanctioned the governor for alleged serious human rights violations. Officials say they involve his reported involvement in Beijing's suppression of Uyghurs. Members of British Parliament declared in 2021 that Uyghurs are suffering genocide in Xinjiang, though the British government has not made the same determination. The Xinjiang governor reportedly scrapped similar visits to Brussels and Paris. All eyes are back on the Iran nuclear deal as the Iranian president visits Beijing. The U.S. is now encouraging China to play a role in sanctioning Iran over its nuclear development. State Department spokesman Ned Price saying it's in both Beijing and Washington's interest to keep sanctions in place. The PRC has uh, a role to play and very clearly signaling to Iran that uh, it's destabilizing activities, that its brinksmanship uh, is not going to be uh, rewarded, it's not going to be countenanced, uh, it is not something that the international community uh, is prepared uh, to uh, sit idly by. On the other hand, Chinese leader Xi Jinping expressed support for Iran on Tuesday during the president's visit. Xi also accused the U.S. of what he called intervening in Iran's internal affairs. Both China and Iran pledged to strategically counter Western sanctions in place because of the stalled nuclear deal. What's more, officials from both countries signed 20 cooperation agreements, ranging from tourism to communication to information technology. China also promised to buy more agricultural exports from Iran. That's in exchange for Iran's help in growing Beijing's Belt and Road Initiative. The ambitious infrastructure project is known to expand the Chinese regime's overseas influence. Looking closer at China-Iran relations, this isn't the first time Beijing has sided with Tehran. Several world powers reached the Iran nuclear deal back in 2015. Of them, China played a major role. In 2018, then-President Donald Trump withdrew the U.S. from the deal. He claimed Iran was secretly developing its nuclear program under the radar. 
And just last December, China urged the United States to lift all sanctions on Iran and bring back the nuclear deal. Iran is becoming more reliant on China as U.S. sanctions cripple its economy. And a mass protest in China. Once again, the city of Wuhan is in the spotlight. Tens of thousands of people there are protesting cuts to their health insurance. NTD's Tiffany Meyer has more. A mass protest breaking out in China's Wuhan city on Wednesday. It's the second demonstration in just a week as tens of thousands of locals gather to oppose cuts to their health insurance benefits. Crowds packed an entrance of a park, most of them elderly. Two voices heard in the clip calling out, down with the reactionary government. Take the guns, come and fight. Other footage shows a heavy security presence walling up the demonstrators, with pushing and shoving between the two sides. This wasn't the first such outburst in Wuhan. A rally estimated at tens of thousands kicked off in front of City Hall last Wednesday. All these amid a groundswell of opinion against changes to local health insurance policy. Retirees saw their medical benefits slashed by more than two-thirds in February. The amount down from around $38 per month to only $12. Protesters say under the new policy, some frequently used medications have become unaffordable. Other question why civil servants are exempt from the policy change. The first protest ended with no response from officials. While the second was brewing, authorities stepped in. We planned another demonstration for the 15th, which is no longer possible. We are now under close surveillance. Otherwise, it might not be tens of thousands of people protesting, but hundreds of thousands or even more. Every community authority now has the participants under restrictions. We are all confined to our homes. We can't go out. The same day, a similar protest broke out in the northeastern city of Dalian against local health care changes. But related content was soon scrubbed from Chinese social media. The outcry speaks to the fiscal woes facing China's local governments under the Chinese communist regime. Over the past three years, the country has poured more than $20 billion into COVID-19 controls. The spending added to China's collapsing property market and slowing economy. Now, over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. Sad news in baseball today is former player and Hall of Fame broadcaster Tim McCarver passed away at the age of 81. McCarver played 21 seasons as a catcher in the big leagues, winning a pair of World Series titles. The two-time All-Star finished runner-up for the MVP in 1967 with St. Louis and was a battery mate for the legendary Bob Gibson in 1968 when Gibson set a record with the lowest ERA in baseball history. Carver went to the Phillies in 1975 and became the personal catcher for Hall of Fame pitcher Steve Carlton for five years before transitioning to the booth. It was there he would develop into a household name for his work as an analyst. But Carver had a way of simplifying the game for fans that caught the attention of the major networks and by 1985 he was calling the World Series. He would go on to be an analyst for 23 World Series working at times for ABC, CBS and Fox. A winner of six Emmy Awards, McCarver last called games for the San Francisco Giants in 2019. He leaves behind a wife and two daughters.
And in skiing news, American skier Michaela Schifrin won gold in the giant slalom at the World Championships Thursday, just a day after taking silver in Super G. Schifrin made headlines earlier this year for passing Lindsey Vaughn as the most decorated women's skier, now with 85 World Cup wins and counting. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, the NBA has just three games planned for the All-Star break, including the Phoenix Suns, who are still waiting for a healthy Kevin Durant to make his team debut. They host the LA Clippers. And finally, for you hockey fans, eight NHL games are on tap, including the Boston Bruins, who with 85 points have the best record in the league, they play at the Nashville Predators. And that's it for your sports news today. Steph, back to you. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.